Welcome to the Profitable Steward Podcast with Jared Sorensen. In this series, we'll learn and explore regenerative agriculture principles. Through practices that improve soil health, animal health, and good stewardship, we are working to help you increase your productivity and profitability. Join us in learning from successful farm and ranch experts who share stories of growth from their fields to help your fields grow strong. Here is your host, Jared Sorensen. All right. Well, it is on the hour. And so we're going to go ahead and start. Those who join will let into the room. And so this is the Profitable Regeneration um, twice a month webinar series. And we are honored to have Bernie Linda Mill as our guest here. Thank you for those of you who are joining here live and uh, those who are watching the replay, listening to the podcast. Uh, we hope that you enjoy this, this um, event today. So Bernie DeMille is um, someone that we've known for oh, over a decade. Um, I first got to know her when I went to a Georgics seminar. Um, if you're not familiar with what Georgics is, uh, William, her husband, will actually be on later to talk about that. But, uh, but she has been a, involved in farming and some type of agriculture pretty much her whole life, right, Bernie? Yeah. <laughs> married a farmer and that's uh something that she's extremely passionate about but she's also passionate and knowledgeable about people skills being able to connect with people help them overcome personal challenges um addictions to be able to engage in in their their core purpose their meaning their their missions in life and so um it's really a privilege to be able to have bernie here with us today yeah, Bernie, is there, what, what is something, I asked this question, it's just kind of an icebreaker, but what's something unique about you that maybe not very many people know? Oh, um, I'm the youngest of 12 children. I don't, I, I don't know that I, that I talk about that a lot. <laughs> I do mention it, so it's not really a secret. I'm the youngest of 12 uh, of a yours, mine, and ours blended family. Um, so I feel like part of that uh, growing up experience uh, has helped color a lot of my perceptions of the importance of family relationships and what you choose to hold on to, what you choose to let go of uh, and how you choose to work through things. Um, What else? Oh, I've been to every state in the union except for Florida. That's my current goal in travel. So if anybody, you know, as a timeshare in Florida, they're not using sometime. Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Well, good. Well, great. Well, great. Great. So, yeah, we'll just take it away and um, uh, we'll keep this somewhat interactive, but more of a presentation style. And, and again, we'll just interject questions as needed for clarification, Bernie. All right. That's awesome. Well, I want to say from the outset, um, I... I love studying psychology. Um, I do a lot of uh, I do a lot of counseling and working with people. I'm a massage therapist. I do a lot of uh, energy work and um, helping people to overcome difficulties, coaching them through difficulties. And the vast majority of who I work with are people involved in farming. That's a huge portion of who I work with uh, because I am a farmer. That is my um, passion. Um, I love 
I love that I married a farmer. I wanted to be on a farm my whole life. I was raised on a farm in Northern California. Um, we called it a ranch, but we didn't wrangle cows. We had apples. <laughs> it was an apple ranch. <laughs> um, and I knew from a very young age that I wanted to live close to the land. I wanted to work on the land. I wanted that to be a part of my lifestyle. When I got married and I began to understand that not everybody sees farming the same way. Um, I got introduced to a whole new way of looking at farming that was wonderful. Um, it was deep and meaningful. Um, and I started talking to a lot of my other young farm wives in the area, older farm wives. Um, and I started noticing something. Uh, I used to talk to my husband about it when we were first married. When we were living in the Midwest, we lived in Missouri. We, we got married back there and, and we, and we had a little farm. How many acres did we have? I think it was just, it was like 300 acres. It wasn't a, it wasn't a huge farm. My dad had, my dad had a big operation. Um, and I knew two very distinct groups of farm women. And I'm going to speak kind of from that perspective because I'm a farm woman. I understand it a little bit better. <laughs> and I met a lot of young farm wives who got married. They were very idealistic. They loved the farming lifestyle. They were gung-ho. They wanted to help. They were really engaged. Um, and they were married to very passionate, driven young men who wanted to change the world through agriculture. They, they believed in the motto, you know, the American farmer feeds the world. They, they wanted to be a part of that mission. They felt it deeply in their soul. And then, you know, life happens, financial difficulties happen, setbacks happen, re recessions happen. Um, people became dependent upon the government for, for um, subsidies or for loans. And, and the, the income to debt ratio just became something that was very, very difficult to live with. And so a lot of the young, the young farm wives would go and work off farm. And, and it was a joke amongst everybody, except it was kind of true that the young wives had to go get a job to support their farmer's farming habit, their husband's farming habit, like it was an addiction. And there's actually a certain element of, of truth to that. Um, addictions are usually defined by pursuing something uh, in the present that causes you pain later, usually involves high risk emotionally, physically, financially. Um, and farming kind of qualifies for all of those, <laughs> except it's so necessary. I mean, no one would argue that it's unnecessary or a waste. It's so important to this very survival of our civilization and our families. So, so these young women would start working and the husbands would miss them. They needed help on the farm, uh, but the wives were working in town, so they couldn't help them. And around about middle age, the husbands and wives made this switch and this very patient, very enduring, very excited, very happy young wife changed places with her husband who had who had been very driven and very dedicated and very kind of no nonsense. And they switched. And in, in middle age, the wives started to become just a little more a little more jaded. They were equally as dedicated as their husbands had been early on. They were totally married to the to the idea of farming but less tender, less gentle, more no-nonsense, very, you know, letter of the law. Well, this is what farming is. This is what you have to do. 
and the husbands actually started to change and became a little more what their wives had been when they first married. And they got a little more patient. And I think, I think part of the reason is by the time they hit middle age, these young kids that they were raising um, were no longer following them around out on the farm anymore. Sometimes they would work with them, but where we were in the Midwest, a lot of them were leaving the farms. They were going off to, you know, greener pastures and in the cities and education where they could make more money because money became the be all and end all of their existence because that was the thing that mom and dad were most stressed about. So they were going to solve the problem of money. And, and we knew lots of older farm families, husband and wives, who were just the opposite of their younger counterparts. We had hus- the old men, the old farmers were very gentle, very kind, very tender. And the little old farm w- women became very bitter and angry and frustrated. And I remember saying to my husband at one point, you know, every farmer out there, and I'm going to include ranchers in that, every rancher out there also, gets a chance to make a decision with their marriage from the very beginning on who they want to be. They don't have to become older men who regret the decisions they made when they were younger, decisions that cost them the strength of tenderness in their relationships and their children leaving their operations. And it doesn't have to cost the happiness of a wife. We get to choose who we are in our marriages, in our homes. Um, And all homes start with that marriage. So I'm going to encourage you as we're going through this to feel free to raise your hand, ask a question um, as I'm explaining how to actually preserve that solid relationship. The, The wife that offers her tenderness the husband that offers his strength and create a marriage that actually defends the family and the family farm specifically from loss. Um, Because there are, we, we call them the three D's when we're approaching the psychology of farm families. The biggest threats to a farm are death, debt, and divorce. Those are the things that threaten most family farms and most family farm operations the most. Um, debt makes sense, right? You know, if you're if you're in hock to the to the bank, you know, a lot of farmers that we knew they were only one bad season away from losing their their farm, and that's nobody wants to be in that situation. Death is a little bit more difficult to control. There are a lot of things that we we can't uh, foresee, but insurance covers a lot of that. Um, but divorce is something we absolutely have control over. Um, love and relationships, the quality of your relationship is not something that you pick up like a communicable, communicable disease. The, the love and affection that you feel in your family, in your home, in your marriage, is absolutely something that you have control over. And we're going to go over just, uh, I, I just drew a simple picture. I want to... I want to show you because this is going to define kind of the the dis, where we go in our discussion. It's a bullseye, and this is the loyalty bullseye. And in we have three rings, concentric rings. The one in the center is the one we're going to start on first, and that's unity. The second one is fraternity, 
And the third is camaraderie. Unity. We're going to start with the bullseye because if you're aiming at anything, you don't want to miss and hit on the side. It's, it's all good if you hit the bullseye in any kind of an archery contest, but what everybody really wants is the bullseye. And that is unity between a husband and a wife. And those, I want, I want to show you something else on this because this is important. You see the arrows? The arrows only go one direction on this bullseye. The center of that bullseye contains the husband and the wife and no one else. That is the center of your bullseye, is the center of your focus. Other, the other interests, the fraternity, which those are family ties and partnerships, legal partnerships. The camaraderie, that's friends, wider society, community. They don't move inward. All of these move outward. We're going to start at the center and we move outward. Influences from all of these can put pressure on that circle. But all of us work with tractors and bearings and, and different wheels that, that have pressure from the outside. But they're designed to be strong so that the pressure from the outside actually keeps them secure, right? Keeps them, keeps them tight, working, properly fitted. Um, if everything is packed properly in the center, any pressures from the outside, they don't have the power to destroy that center unless they get in and they drive wedges. So we're going to talk about how to keep that center strong and then how it impacts positively everything on the outside. We keep everything in the family and in the marriage in a proper, in a proper perspective. Every good marriage starts with a good friendship. Why does this matter? I mean, it, we, we kind of, we have an interesting society right now where people, um, people have a tendency to promote the idea of love at first sight, of uh, wild romances, of the excitement, the first blush of, of being in love, the whole butterflies in the stomach that describe fleeting attractions. Um, but statistics show, and I think all of us have seen this in real life, really strong, sturdy marriages are built on friendship, not just attraction. Why? Well, friendship is so much deeper. It's not, it's not a peer group. It's not, just a, it's not just a cohort you go through school with. Um, in fact, interestingly, um, the, term, the term for friend um, means someone you love deeply. And in Arabic, the term used for the word friend literally means the person who tells you the truth. So when you have a deep and meaningful relationship with your spouse, when you are friends with your spouse, it underscores everything else that you pursue. Um, I've known individuals in, in my life, and we probably all have, have met people who treat their marriage as a merger uh, for power or uh, financial interest. Uh, I've known people who, who get married out of purely physical reasons, uh, just have a, a sexual desire for the person that they marry and it fizzles over time and they regret the decision later. Um, 
those things can create a shaky start for a marriage. But the good news is, even if you maybe weren't friends when you started, you can actually become friends. Friendship is something that you can build and not something that um, you just have to get it like, you know, like a disease. <laughs> it comes It comes with work. It's not something that is an accident. Another another element of the foundation of this of this center ring, this unity, is a shared vision and shared beliefs. Now, I don't know. I've got a few people I can see. Have you ever met people on a on a ranch or uh, or on a farm who struggle to get on the same page with just their vision for what they want on their farm? I mean, I have, and and that is hard. That is a really really difficult thing. Um, and we're going to discuss as we move outward in the rings why that sometimes happens. But it's really essential in your farming situation, in your marriage, to have a shared vision of where you're going. Some people actually, some people meet their spouse doing something that they each loved and enjoyed. Um, you know, it could be in in the horse ring. Some people love showing horses. Some people meet over 4-H <laughs> sheep and cattle, which I think is a good way to start a marriage. You know, if you can, you can have that common ground, I think it's good. Um, another thing is the shared meaning and, and your, your purpose. So you have your shared vision of where you're going and you have your deep friendship, but shared meaning is a spiritual tie that links you to one another. We're also really common in our society today um, where people are just, they're essentially hooking up for a couple of years. They're not, they're not developing uh, a part of their relationship, a, a spiritual element of their relationship that binds them to one another any more deeply than shared chores or children or, or a sexual relationship. That's not enough to join people. Um, the reason that traditionally speaking, marriage has been something that has been so involved with religion is because religion binds people in a shared meaning of life. What is life about? Why are we even going through the motions of the things that are difficult? Life is challenging. It's challenging for everyone and, and, and in different ways and in similar ways. But one, one consistent uh, element is it's a challenge. Life is hard. In fact, I, I, I've talked to my children about this. If you're married, you have marriage problems. If you're single, you have single problems. The common ground in that is problems. Humans have problems. But having a shared meaning with the people that you share your life with in the spaces of your life, in your home, in your work, means that when you have a difficulty and a problem that happens, as it does to everyone, there's purpose behind it. And you're not suffering just for the sake of suffering. You're overcoming a challenge. You're becoming a person. You're becoming more, more wise. You're deepening your, your love and your faith. Some people make a marriage work where they don't have the same faith. They do have to have the same meaning. And whether you're religious or not, that spiritual element of your relationship with your spouse is undeniably essential. 
to your happiness. Okay. So I want you to take note that the foundation included words like friendship, vision, beliefs, meaning. It didn't include words like employee or maid or or gopher or assistant. <laughs> These are really important things to recognize because there is a challenge that farm families deal with that is different than any other profession I have ever seen. And um, I've had a few people, I've, I've had multiple discussions about this with various friends and, and um, teachers and, and, other, and other coaches and counselors on how all marriages struggle with roles and chores and difficulties. But I'm gonna stand by this. Marriages in farming are different than they are in almost any other profession. And it comes down to one simple thing. Chores. It comes down to chores. When, um, when a woman who teaches at the elementary school gets sick and she calls in for the day because she's not gonna be able to go in and, and teach those kids pre-algebra or something. Her, they don't call her husband and say, hey, you gotta fill in for your wife today because she can't come in. So you're gonna have to come in and sit with these kids for the next eight hours and teach them. You gotta you got fill in because you know she's sick. That doesn't happen. If the banker is writing up a loan for a new business that's going into town or a, a new wing at the hospital and he gets in, you know, some kind of a car accident and he's in the hospital and they're dealing with a broken leg. They don't call his wife and say, hey, you're going to have to fill in uh, and be here to manage the lien officer while we manage this debt that's going in for this uh, for this new uh, this new building that's going up. They don't do that. Nobody does that. But I promise you, <laughs> in the farming operation, if the cows get out, or if it's raining and the hay needs to be put up, or if you're down to the wire and you have multiple crops that need to go in, it is all hands on deck. And everybody, husband, wife, quite often kids, and a dog if they know how to drive the truck, are going to help <laughs> get everything finished in time because we fight something that a lot of other professions don't. We are in this relationship with forces of a global scale, weather, economies worldwide that influence us on a very, very intricate level. And husband and wives in farming operations are so involved and so engaged in the day-to-day -day work of the farm that it is very difficult to separate those roles from the chores that have to be done. So when anyone enters into a farming relationship, you have to remember one key word. You are partners. You are partners in every decision 
that you will ever make again from here on out. It doesn't mean that you can't make some little decision about the kind of sisal you want to tie something with, you know, in the baler or whatever. You, you can make individual decisions, but the big decisions, the big momentous moving forward decisions or stepping back or stepping away or stepping toward any major decision that happens with the farming enterprise, it has such impact with the family. You have to be all in as partners and you can't accept anything less. There's a lot of, uh, I, I've known a lot of people, they make decisions um, on their farm and they'll say things like, oh, well, I got to discuss this with so-and-so, um, my brother-in-law, or I've got to discuss this with my dad, or I've got to discuss this with such and such family member who helps run the farming operation. That's well and fine. You should. And we're going to get to that as we move out in the circles. There are partnerships and there are corporations and sometimes there's LLCs involved in, in the farming operations that need to be managed and handled. But the farm family, the individual marriage, have to understand from the beginning, husband and wife, you are partners first. And you need to be both all in to the decision without coercion, without manipulation, without force in order to be successful. Because feeling sidelined as a spouse is akin to betrayal, like being cheated on. And this is really essential. And sometimes it's hard for people to understand. A betrayal of a non-sexual nature can be just as damaging to the spouse as being cheated on with somebody else. And, and that is something that I think is often difficult for people to understand. When you go into a farming relationship, you have, to, you have to believe that your spouse is your most essential partner in every decision that you make. And if you undermine that relationship, you are undermining your financial success and your happiness and and joy with the work that you pursue because that person is the most essential person in your relationship they're not just there to cook your meals and warm the bed um, they're not just there to run the errands and this is true regardless of who the farmer is husband or wife and i've known because i've known people on both sides of the coin there I've, I've got a good friend she is the um she is the farmer uh she raises flowers <laughs> very girly farm thing. It's great. But she is, she's the breadwinner and she has to be cautious not to undermine her husband's interests and have him just be the gopher guy or just the take care of the kids guy. It's exactly the same. Uh, and, and so it's not a, it's not a gendered problem. It's a role problem. And, and this is essential to understand. I think one of the things that this is, that's so important about this and I'm going to hold the I'm going to hold the picture up here again, because I want you to keep this. I want you to keep this idea of a circle in your in your brain. This is really important. Men and women are attracted to the same things. Uh, there's so many books out there on you know what what makes uh, men attractive to women. Make what makes a woman more attractive to a man. And if you get on on TikTok or or Facebook Reels or YouTube, they're going to show you that 
what you think is attractive is is somebody who is perpetually 18 years old with the 18 year old body and um that is actually not what is attractive to most people there are three traits that probably more than any other are the most attractive traits regardless uh, through multiple studies and statistics show one is confidence confidence is very attractive someone who is very strong is very very attractive regardless of of their gender men are attracted to confident women women are attracted to confident uh, men they want someone who's strong the next most attractive trait is having a healthy interest in other people specifically in them we like we are attracted to people who show an interest in someone besides themselves we want to we want to be with someone who's capable of showing empathy and interest in in someone else in in someone besides themselves um they they're sorry they they're interested in someone who is capable of seeing someone else's interests and not being so hyper focused on their own goal that they bypass that's attractive uh, i know like from a woman's perspective it's actually you know when when women say i just want to be understood that's what they're asking for they're asking for their husband to be interested in them you know when when men are saying i wish my wife would listen to me they're usually saying, I wish she was interested in what I'm saying, interested in me and what I'm actually saying. That's an essential element of attraction. The third one is um, a positive attitude. I mean, that's just that's just attractive all over the place. Someone who's it doesn't have to be even false happiness. It's just simply someone who can can be capable of being happy. That's something that's very attractive. So anybody in any circumstance can have those, those experiences or can have those traits and be attractive and make marriage work. But in farming, you have to have, you have, to have those, those traits and, and something else. You have to have agreements. You have to have emotional contracts i'm going to veer off here into into something that's almost legal um except it's not Uh, i want to talk a little bit about um how relationships used to work uh in in farming communities and how they still work actually interestingly in some in some uh in some communities around the world the focus of of many um, many cultures was in the, um, the the building up of land in quantity, herds in quantity, and family in quantity, because this equaled security. Right, you had enough land that you could feed your family and your your crop your your animals crops. You had enough animals to trade effectively. And we're going way back here. We're going back thousands of years. And you had enough family members to take care of all of those animals 
to take care of all of those crops and to secure them, to protect them from other people. So in order to protect those interests, um, various cultures around the world developed things like bride price or they would develop dowry. Um, these, were, they, these were an exchange of goods between families because there were inherent risks in sending your family out into the world. Uh, for women, there was an inherent risk in, in getting married. I mean, what if, you, what if you married somebody who wouldn't take care of you or who would leave you with children? This, your life just got infinitely more difficult if you didn't have someone to help you raise children and women tend to carry literally through gestation and, and through um, the rest of society, they tend to carry the weight of those relationships in their lives. So that we developed all of these legal methods for managing relationships. We're, we're about to move into this second ring of fraternity here or brotherhood fellowship. Today, we call these things uh, prenuptial agreements. We call them wills. We call them inheritances. We call them a change to your insurance policy. We call them taxes and how you file them. Or we call them marriage licenses. And, and we, we put all of these legal terms on what used to be a social organization. We've, we've legalized the state of marriage and, and we haven't carried forward into that the same social structure that governed those relationships. We have changed um, in our society at large and we've seen marriage as the culmination of a romance. Um, and we've rejected the, um, the idea of arranged marriages and I'm not promoting arranged marriages. <laughs> So, you know, uh, but we, we've rejected the idea of a family being involved in the marriage. And yet we are very involved. Families are very involved in the marriages of their children. Uh, they're very involved in the marriages of their brothers, their siblings. Um, and they either benefit or suffer detriment from the fallout of marriage of their of their parents. And and I think it's important to understand that as farm families, in order to really protect what you desire to build with your, with your family um, and your farm, you need to be willing to look at the legal aspects of that second ring, the family and the partnerships. Because good partnerships do not just evolve. I remember, I'm just going to tell a personal story here. I remember years ago when my older brother, um, and, and because we're a yours, mine, and ours, and there's 12 kids, right? And I'm the youngest, and I was, uh, I was already married, and I was living up on my husband's family's farm. Um, my brother that's two years older than me, he was really the only one of my, of my dad's sons who was interested in the farm. And they did nothing but fight. My dad and my brother, every time they would do anything that involved a cow, a tractor, a gate, a crop, <laughs> anything, anything that was related to the farm, it was a battle. It was a battle. 
Part of the problem was they had never fully defined their roles on the farm. And this is essential, particularly, um, and, and I, I, one of the things I've loved working with Jared is, is to see what he, what he teaches to people if they want to preserve their farm long-term um, as a means of protecting that land, crops, calves, cows, whatever they want to have um, to be able to pass it down to their children, you have to have an actual written agreement. You have to have clarification of roles and you need to respect those roles. Um, I belong, and I just I'm going to explain this one a little bit further because this particular relationship from the unity of the husband and wife to the fraternity of the family and business partners, that's where most of the difficulties in farm relations stem from. I belong to three different groups on social media. Um, two of them I was added to by a friend and another I joined with someone else's recommendation. All three of these are called something, something along the lines of secret life of farm women or farm women diaries or farm women support group, you know, something like that, where it's a bunch of, of farm wives who go to this place on social media to vent about their frustrations. And almost 100% of the comments on those, <laughs> on, on those posts start with something along the lines of, I can't say this to my husband. Or they'll say, we can't have this conversation at home. And then they'll go on to the difficulty that they're experiencing. And they're going to people who have no power to solve the problem. And they're embracing the fact that they can't change the problem, but they need a release from the emotional stress and baggage of the problem. And, and these, are, these are problems that will perpetuate. They're not going to go away. Problems of this nature do not just go away unless somebody dies and they hand them the farm. And, and what, a, what a terrible thing that is. Like, I'll be happy in farming when somebody kicks the bucket. What? That's a terrible, that's a terrible way to look at, at a farming relationship. Nobody should have a relationship like that, right? But these are women who feel sidelined in their relationships with their husbands who are the farmer or who feel rejected because they're the farmer and they're the one having the relationship with their parents and their husband just doesn't get it. I've seen that one too. He, he wasn't born to farming. He just doesn't get it. And, and I don't know how to explain to him. I have to talk to my dad. I have to work this out. And they've got their husband out of the decision-making. Well, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, that level of betrayal is no different than if you had cheated with somebody. That is a deep wound in a relationship with someone who needs to be your partner. So how do you solve the problem? Well, if you're not married yet, prevention is, is a great way of handling this. If you're not married yet, <laughs> have the conversation with your parents before you get married. If you're part of a family operation and you have brothers and sisters um, who you're working with, you've had extended aunts and uncles say, I'm getting married. 
I, this is a girl that I really want to spend the rest of my life with. I need to talk to you about how that's going to look as I, uh, as I change that relationship. Um, as a parent, when you have children who get married, there's, there's uh, important things you can do. Be welcoming, be warm, be clear. Be really clear about expectations and roles. What are the roles that need to be done on the farm? Um, and then work within whatever the roles need to be. And then respect the boundary of this relationship. Most of the problems happen when one of the people inside that boundary don't respect it. So most people don't even do it on purpose. You know, you have a, uh, you, you may have a husband who's worked with his father for the last 20 years. Now he's, you know, he's mid twenties. He wants to get married. He wants to start a family. He's found the girl of his dreams. Um, and, and, and he's looking at the marriage as this is just the continuation of the dream. I've, I've worked so hard. I've built this with my dad. This is great. We're working together. I'm going to get married. This is going to be the whipped cream on this wonderful, beautiful Sunday of life. This is fabulous. And they're just excited and happy and not thinking in terms of how do I honor my wife and her needs and her desires while still meeting obligations with my dad. And, and the fact is, that is something that you have to determine together as a husband and wife. You determine what are your goals. You go back to those things that build a good marriage. What is your meaning? What is your shared vision? What is your respect for one another? And your, and your, your desire to help one another and support one another as friends. If you can get on the same page here, and if you have reasonable relatives, you can get on the same page out there too. Sometimes, sometimes people deal with unreasonable relatives. That's a thing. Um, but most people are not unreasonable. And most people, when, when um, you have a boundary that's essential for your happiness as, um, as husband and wife, most people are actually willing to respect it. And another thing with boundaries, oh, I just got to throw this out there. That is such a, that is such a uh, buzzword right now. I mean, how many of you have been on social media? Just raise your hand. How many of you have been on social media and you've seen somebody, they're not respecting my boundaries. And they're so mad because somebody else had an opinion. Okay, someone else having a different opinion is not them crossing your boundary. It's your boundary line. You're the one responsible for it. <laughs> If it's your boundary line, you are the one that has to take responsibility for that boundary. So as a husband, your boundary is to, to wrap your wife within the arms of your strength, empathy, your positive attitude, and your protection. Women marry men because they desire your strength and protection. That's just evolutionary psychology at work. And most of the time, if you're having a battle with your wife, it's because you've drawn a line around something else besides her. You've got to draw her in and make her feel protected so that you're fighting with each other, not against each other. Because you're going to have differences of opinions. You're going to have 
arguments over things you disagree on. You're probably going to have perpetual arguments over things that you simply do differently and you manage it with good humor and lots of biting of tongues and rolling of eyes and laughing and you just move on because you're different people who view the world differently and you operate in the world differently. My husband, he rolls his eyes and he, and he just deals with this because I'm a little time challenged. I double book myself regularly. I try not to, but I still do it. And he has developed this wonderful sense of good humor about it because it's a perpetual problem. Even when I try to do better about it, I just, I struggle with time. He likes to come in the house with muddy boots because it's really inconvenient for him to take off his shoes to be in the house to get a drink for 30 seconds. It is so inconvenient for him. And I, I so respect that. It is not a big deal to sweep the floor for me. He's not walking across the carpet. It's not a big deal. And half the time he sweeps the floor. It's not a big deal. So we manage things that are perpetual problems. But make sure that you're in you're within that circle of one another's arms. You are you're tender with one another, you're empathetic with one another, you're listening to each other, and you're not. You're not choosing someone else as your first priority. And this means that sometimes we make decisions that were not necessarily what we had planned. Because when you get married, that new contract, that marriage contract, it requires that almost all of your other social contracts get rewritten. It requires that you rethink your relationship. There, you know, the wonderful scripture in the, in the Bible about how a man shall leave his mother and a woman leave her home. We become a new, a new unit. Marriage is a new unit. And as, as parents, like I've got, I've got young children now, not young. They're, they're married. I've got, I've got two, two sons who are married, um, beginning families of their own, of their own. And it's, it's a completely different relationship than I had with them. I had, I had a friend recently uh, talk to me. She's got um, one of her, one of her daughters is married to a son who she just really doesn't like. She really struggles to get along with him. And she asked me once, she says, how do you get along with your children's spouses? And I just told her, and I believe this, I'm not married to their spouse. They married who they wanted to be married to. I'm not married to their spouse. I love my child. I love my sons. And because I love my sons, I choose to love their spouse. I may not like everything they do. I may have a problem with some of the behaviors that they exhibit. And I am very willing to compassionately offer advice if they want it. I can guarantee you they don't want it. <laughs> not right now. <laughs> I don't I don't offer it unless they ask, but I do offer lots of love and I offer lots of compassion. And if one of them calls me with a complaint about the other, I listen because they're calling to talk to me and I offer them the counsel to love one another more because I am not willing to step inside that circle. I don't belong there. I don't belong there. I don't belong there causing a problem for a newly wedded couple or been married a long time couple. And, and I have no right to damage that regardless of what I want. I think a lot of us that are on this call, we're, we're older. 
we have farms we want to pass on or we have we have visions and missions that we would like to see our children carry on but that can only happen if you share a vision and you share a mission and if every single person inside this circle both husband and wife agree to it and are on the same page with it so that's where we stand for with businesses with farm businesses how to protect them you you got to you got to marriage proof your farm <laughs> you have you have to make agreements and you have to make decisions that protect what you're doing from the volatility of of emotions that are temporary um, and you have to invest in one another and your relationships so that you can have a lasting business plan and this this outside circle here this camaraderie one this is your community this is your friends this is your your co-workers and your neighbors this is actually a wonderful support for both of these inner circles so that when there's a problem on the farm if there's an emergency and you need help there's help to be had because you've developed those outer relationships if someone's struggling and they need an ear they need they need compassion offer them some compassion those women's groups that i belong to on social media i've been so impressed with a lot of the counsel that's given most of the women are so compassionate they're like oh, you got this mama you can handle it i know it's stressful right now planting season's almost over plan a date for later on you know take a meal out to your husband they're sharing meal ideas ways to make the actual chore easier because they're supporting each other in their roles those nurturing roles those protective roles and that's what you need to do so what can you do what are some skills that you can actually do to help strengthen that relationship so that no matter what's coming at it from outside so even if this even if this outer this circle here in the middle the fraternity circle the family circle even if it's dysfunctional you can still maintain a solid family unit you can maintain a solid marriage so i would think i'm going to give you i'm going to give you just a handful of, of ideas but i think the most important one if you don't remember anything else <laughs> from this i've talked a lot is listen without talking set a timer when you and your wife need to talk or you and your husband need to talk and and most of the time you're talking because you need to say something right set a timer and live by this commitment that you will not interrupt one another and when your spouse is done talking you are not going to rebuttal what they said you're going to get a piece of paper and when they're talking you're going to take notes and you're not going to deal with anything they said right then in that conversation but you're going to turn the timer on and then you're going to talk and you're going to talk about something else don't rebuttal don't respond give yourself a chance to think particularly if it's important the harder the topic the more willing you need to be to listen without responding in the moment just hearing what they have to say 
That's one skill, probably the most important. One of the next most important things you can do is to just spend time in little tiny daily rituals. Things like a meal together or reading a scripture together or watching the news together or listening to the latest commodity report together. Uh, William and I, when we were first married, uh, this is so funny thinking about this now, but it's one of my favorite memories and we laugh about it regularly. We had an alarm clock that would go off to the local radio station every morning. And there was a guy that would give the, re the market report every morning. William, do you even remember what the guy's name was? He probably still remembers it to this day. <laughs> yeah, it was George Clement with the livestock market report. George Clement. And that's all I could ever understand him say. This is George Clement with the livestock market report. Uh, what was it? Heifers. Muff, 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 muff. I mean, then he'd go on and he'd talk about pigs. He's like, Earls, woof, 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 woof. I couldn't understand anything he was saying. I would laugh and laugh. I'm like, does anybody actually get anything out of this when they listen to his report? Because <laughs> he was just all garbled. But that little ritual of waking up together to the market report and making fun of poor George Clement <laughs> was one of the most delightful parts of my day. It was just silly. It was just inane, right? But when you share time together laughing, just doing something fun or silly or something that just needs to get done, but you're doing it together. You're building bonds and ties to one another that see you through the difficult moments. Cause I'm telling you, it's harder to live through drudgery than it is to live through a, a, a difficulty. Because when you have something that's coming at you from the outside, what do you do? You stand your ground, you stand together, you link arms, you're standing together, you're facing something that's an external threat. External threats are way easier than internal boredom. When you get bored with each other, instead of celebrating the time with each other, that's when your marriage starts to fracture. So learn to treasure the little things. Learn to treasure the little moments, the driving together in the car and listening to a good book. Uh, we've gotten to this this place recently where you know our kids are basically grown. I've got one kid left at home. She's 18. She's ready to fly the coop here in the next six months or so, which is crazy. And William hates being an empty nester. So <laughs> over the last over the last year or so, we've kind of embraced this new way of reconnecting with each other. And and I you know I knew I loved my husband, but I've recently discovered I still love my husband even when there's no kids around. He's been listening to books on tape. I listen to books on tape. We get together at the end of the evening and say, have you gotten to this part yet? No, I'm not there yet. Well, tell me what he said. I'll, and I, I never mind spoilers in books, so he can tell me what he said. It's great. And I can anticipate it coming. But make time to build those little roadmaps that lead you to one another's heart. I, I know you've all heard the old adage, um, love is spelled T-I-M-E. So true. It's so true. And sometimes in our, in our hurry to, um, to be efficient with our farming and to save a little time, shave off a little time here and there, we shave it off of meals. We, we shave it off of time we could spend together because we want to get more done. Um, I want you to consider something. That does happen and need to happen once in a while. Sometimes there are emergencies, 
But if there are emergencies happening on your farm or ranch every day, that's poor management. That's not actual emergencies. It's just poor management. You need to change up your management of what's happening on your farm and your ranch so that you're not having an ox in the mire every day. <laughs> you know, you need to have you need to have better management so that you have time because time is not something you can save up. You're not actually saving time. You're just investing it in worry and fear. And you get a much better payout if you invest it in your relationships and in time spent with family. So I encourage you, I'm, I'm going to end this here, <laughs> this discussion, focus in on that relationship right there. That's the one that you focus on. And if you focus there and your loyalty lies there with your spouse and you're clear about that boundary around you and your spouse and you have loving, compassionate, clear conversations with everyone else on your farm team so that they know your spouse is within the arms of your protection, husband or wife. You defend one another's honor, your reputation, your, your goodness. You, you defend one another. You stand for one another. Then everyone else knows where they stand in relationship to you. And they take their view of who you are and what they can count on from you from that most important relationship that you have. Because if they can't count on you to be solid in that role as a spouse, it's very difficult for the rest of the farm team to feel secure. And you will find yourself losing money and eventually probably losing your farm. I've seen it multiple times and it's sad. So invest in that relationship, in that marriage. Thank you so much, Bernie. Wonderful. So I, I really do appreciate that. I, I think that um, we do strive to take a holistic approach at how we manage. Um, and with Ag Steward and what we do, a lot of the problems that we find in businesses, they boil down to people problems, right? The the other things are relatively easy to find solutions to. The people problems are more complex and can be somewhat complicated and, and challenging. And so um, I felt like that was something that we needed to have as a discussion. And um, I really pray that it's hit home for us and, and uh, for those who listen, that they can internalize this. They can make steps accordingly to strengthen those key relationships, marriage relationships, relationships with you. Um, with your children, um, Bernie, maybe, you know, as, um, having, coming from a big family yourself and I too, am the youngest of 10 children, my wife and I have nine kids. Um, did you, do you find it difficult in balancing the mom duty and nurturing that relationship and what, what recommendations do you have? And I think, you know, it goes both ways. For the man, it's probably balancing work, family. Um, and for maybe the woman, uh, it could be the man too, that, you know, they're putting the needs of the kids first or the needs of the business first. And the relationship yeah. really takes the back burner. And, and sometimes, you know, when you are empty nesters, it's like, I don't even know this person, let alone want to spend the rest of my life with them. 
it's like we have nothing in common now that the kids are gone and that's super sad so any yeah i I like what you the the comparison you drew there between the either the focusing on the work or focusing on the kids um you know i think it's easy when we get in the I, i always tell people you're in the thick of thin things things that are that are challenging to you and stretch you thin work challenges you and stretches you thin children challenge you and stretch you where you're feeling a little bit thin when you're in the thick of that it's easy to think that by doubling down on focusing on their problems you are being proactive at solving them but you're not you're not you need to focus on strengthening your relationship with your spouse and the strength you derive from focusing on your spouse actually enables you to better handle the difficulties and challenges. You know, no, no child is, is so needy that parents can't take an hour and go on a date once a week. Even if you just went out on the four-wheeler and you're checking cows, but you're going on a date together. You're, you know, you're accomplishing some work together. Children need to see that their parents are loyal to one another within the home, not not just from people without it, but within the home. You know, um, husbands shouldn't made to feel like they're an interloper in their in their raising of their children. Um, I've I've seen men who are uh, you know we have this expectation that men are going to be stoic, not overly emotional, but I've seen I've seen grown men in tears over this. They feel like they don't have part of their children's raising, like like they have no say, and that is absolutely wrong. That is not okay. You know, just as a woman, a woman should not be made to feel that she has no say in the business arrangements. She should. Her thoughts and opinions are essential, and his thoughts or and opinions are essential in the home. This partnership goes both ways. So yeah, and it comes back to that taking time. You have to take time with one another. William, you had your hand up. Yeah, thank you. I just have a question. Um, It starts with a comment, I guess, but uh, you have great principles here. And throughout my life, I've noticed that it's hard for people to even know that these teachings exist. So the question is, where do people learn this stuff? Because I didn't learn this in school. I didn't learn these relationship things in college. I didn't learn very many of them in church. I learned a lot more in church than in other learning. But where do you go to learn this stuff? Where, where do you, know, go? Uh, you know, <laughs> well, you get mentored by Jared. <laughs> but it's, it's actually, I, I have not found a single place you go to. I, give me a call, you know, email me or something. But I have not found a single source of information for this. I've pieced together um, experiences, reading. Um, I think if you wanted to find a single source for a good counsel on marriage, John Gottman is amazing. Um, he's a psychologist up in um, Seattle. Um, and he, he, it's just basic good relationship advice, but it's very specific. Um, and he's realistic, which is wonderful. Um, I, I think I think it's actually one of the things that farming families face the most. I really appreciate this comment, William, because we are I think I think the the farming community, the agriculture community at large, 
fails to understand the the social water that we're swimming in. I want to just briefly describe what's been happening to agriculture in America since the end of World War II. Prior to World War II, the marketing to the agriculture community was very community-minded and involved lots of uh, women's organization, uh, community organizations. It was very much about doing good service, uh, you know, having businesses. I mean, women, there, there were discussions in a lot of women's magazines about home industry, uh, earning earning money, creating money on the farm, helping your husband, um, you know, engaging child rearing with your husband. It was very much a combined effort. Post-World War II, there was this huge marketing boom. And I, I wish I had them on here. I don't I don't I don't have them to show you on like a slide. But I, I did a I did a senior report on this when I was uh, finishing up college. During the post-World War II era, companies were marketing their goods to farmers, specifically creating a, a, an image of a successful farmer is one who works hard enough, makes enough money, and spends enough of it on the implements we're selling that his wife can sit home and uh, pop bonbons and and doesn't have to do anything except wrap herself in saran wrap and a smile when he gets home. I mean, it was ridiculous marketing. It was it was ridiculous marketing, Pr treating women as a as a prized possession that could sit at home and not get dirty, and husbands as if all they were good for was their money. It was it was insulting to both parties in the marriage, but that went on for years and years and years so that so that by the time the 1960s arrived um the the government was passing out with with their subsidies with their farm improvement loans they wouldn't give money and this was back in the midwest where we lived in missouri they would not give farm improvement loans to a farmer to improve his land or to upgrade his his um his tractor unless he was also willing to go in debt for a new car for his wife, a new home for his wife, or for new carpeting or a new kitchen for his wife. My, uh, William, do you wanna share this story? This is kind of part of it, but this this belief that, that an increased amount of money spent and a wife who could sit at home and do nothing undermined every value that American farming was built upon, and we're swimming in it now. Go ahead, William. Uh, so I worked for a veterinarian in Missouri. He was a large animal vet, and he covered three counties. And the year I started working for him, he turned 65, and he and he had his 30-year-in-business party that year. So he had seen a lot of things, and he was a veterinarian during the 1980s farm crises, and we would drive up and down the roads to go to different people's uh, ranches to work on their cattle. And when we we would just go by these vast areas of cropland, and he would kind of shake his head and say, yeah, there used to be a, a ranch here, and he'd tell me their names. And he was just full of 30 years of stories. And he said, yeah, but they went under in the 80s, and there were just dozens and dozens of places we would go by every single day 
that had this same story. And in the 1980s, they gave it up and some big corporation bought the farmland. And so I finally asked him, I said, what happened? Why was the 80s such a bad time? And he said, well, he said, I shouldn't say this, but I kind of think it was the government's fault because they encouraged the small farmer to go into such debt that when the problems in the 80s hit, they couldn't recover. And so I, I asked him further and I said, well, what was what kind of debt? And he said, oh, they made him get all kinds of things. They had to have a new car and a new TV and all the trappings in the house so that the farm wives would stay uh, um, happy. And it caused a rift between husbands and wives. So not only did they lose the farm, their, the divorce rate went through the roof. And that was, yep. you know, and without any prying or trying to pull very much out of him. That's just what he shared with me. And yep. it's very interesting. It was it was pretty humbling to hear his story. They they sowed seeds of discontent where prior there had been there had been unity. And so, uh, you know, where do you go to find counsel to overcome this? Well, Go to church, <laughs> go to scriptures, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, read good books <laughs> about relationships, improve your own mind. That's that's what you do. That's great. And uh, makes me think and question, you know, are we are we repeating that history? Um, while it doesn't repeat itself, it does rhyme. And so we're probably in a, a very similar situation right now. Um, where the families are a lot less stable than they were in the 1980s. And so what does that mean for family farmers? Um, there will be a huge shift in farm and ranch land equity here in the next one and two decades. Um, I want to make sure that that shift is to the next generation of farmers, family farmers and ranchers. Um, it's not shaping up to be that way. Right. Because there is not the profit in it without subsidies and uh, without the wife in town, without the government handouts, um, without tapping into our equity and other things. And so we've got to change that, even though right now commodity prices are good. The input prices have, have risen. And so it is a very complex issue. But I appreciate that this is um in my opinion, like this is the foundation, right? You can lose the farm, you can lose the ranch, but please don't lose your marriage. Please don't lose your family in the process. Um, those are the things that do have eternal significance and consequence. And so, Bernie, we really appreciate you taking time to jump on here with us today. And um, I pray that this message is received in the spirit that it was given and and that it will help others. Um, any final thoughts that you have, Vernie? And then could you share like what the best way is to get a hold of you for anybody who your message resonated with? I know that you do coaching, some counseling. You have the qualifications. Um, you have the um, the education, and you have the heart to do it. So, um, if you just final comments and then contact information. Yeah. Um, I think if um, I think if if I could encourage you all to take. One takeaway away from this message is make sure that your spouse knows that you are in their corner, that they are loved, 
that they are listened to, and that they are your one, your partner, 100%. Um, don't ever leave room for doubt with that because you can get through anything if you can get through it together. If you're together, you can weather any storm. Um, and, and, you know, that's more valuable. You know, the greatest crop you're ever going to raise is your, your family. Uh, nothing compares to that. So yeah, focus in on that. Um, I, you can follow, I, I have a blog, <laughs> verniedemille.com. Um, and I, I do have a blog. You can follow me there. Um, you can also uh, reach out to me on social media. Um, I, uh, on Facebook, just Verney DeMille. Um, I do have a, a YouTube channel where I post thoughts every once in a while of all sorts of things. <laughs> I have a very eclectic, uh, eclectic collection of, of interests and I post there, but largely uh, it ends up being on, on psychology, meditation, some um, thoughts on relationships and, um, and improving those relationships. And I post lots of things about William and the, and the Wallapini. So that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Also, I, I'm, I absolutely love emailing people. Um, I do, I do some coaching. Um, anyway, um, yeah, at verney.demille at gmail.com. I, I just saw another question. I want to deal with that. Recommendations for the fraternity circle as I'm not in the unity circle. On our farm. Yeah, actually I do. I do have some recommendations for the fraternity one. It's really, it kind of depends on where you are in your relationship with your, um, with your family, um, with your, uh, I don't know if you are a, are a child of a, of a parents who own the farm and you're working with them um, or if you're working with other siblings. So I would, I would say if you aren't sure of where your parents are wanting to go with their farming operation, um, the very first step as an adult child is to establish the vision. There are some elements of that fraternity circle that are actually really similar to the unity circle. Um, and that's in, in the shared vision, the shared, the shared meaning. Um, and because you're the child of these parents, you probably are very well versed in what me is most meaningful to them. But getting really clear on what their vision is, is, is the best way to start. And, and do a soft start. Um, hard discussions are always easier if you begin with a soft start and you, you make it about your decision or, or your, your thinking. Like I'm, I'm determining where I am. I'm determining on my goals and where I'm going with my life and how I can best help the ranch, the farm, whatever the situation may be. So soft start, do the listening exercise, just listen to what, where they're going and where they want to be at. Um, and then if they're willing, and this really depends on, on who your parents are and, and the nature of your working relationship with them, ask them to clarify who you are on the farm, what your role is. Because a, a misunderstanding on role leads to a lot of heartache. Um, this, is, this can be difficult in, in marriages where there's uh, confusion on the role of husband and wife, and it's no different in any family. So if you can get clear on what your role is, um, then you can manage expectations clearly. Um, a lot of times on a farm where there's a big goal, like we just want to make the farm profitable. That's a big goal. 
and it has to be broken down into elements that you can reach profitability with, right? It's the nitty gritty, it's the skills. I know Jared deals with this later on in his counseling. You work on the foundational elements and then you work on the nitty gritty. How do you actually make it profitable? So if you can get your vision clear with your parents, if you can get your role clear, then you can start working on the nitty gritty of how you're going to reach the vision so that it adds meaning to your family's, to your family's goal. And as an adult child working with your parents, you do have an obligation on that center circle, that unity circle. It doesn't mean that that circle doesn't exist just because you're not married. You actually still are at the center of that. And you need to be clear on your goals and your vision and your meaning in your life so that when you have that conversation with your parents, you actually, instead of just being guided and directed by just what they want, you actually have some interests and you have a desire of where you want to go. You know, yeah, unified with Christ for now, that's good. <laughs> that's a good place to be. That's a good place to be. And I'm guessing you probably share that with your family. So, you know, you're, you're, already, you're already ahead um, in meaning and, and what you're hoping to achieve. So maintain um, that understanding of your goals and just have the discussion, just have that soft start discussion um, to see where they want to go with it. Because it sounds like it's clarification that you're wanting on the role and the expectation and what fulfillment of that, um, of, of what that expectation means. So again, thank you, Vernie. Thank you, everyone who's uh, listen to this live for those who are listening to the replay to the podcast and we invite you if this message has resonated with you to reach out to ag steward um, ag steward.fyi jared at ag steward um, dot fyi is the best way to get a hold of us uh, we do these twice a month and we also provide coaching and what we focus on one of the key foundational principles one of the cornerstones one of the four cornerstones we focus on is the people because it is it is essential uh production ecology people and and financial those are the four key pieces that we dive into and we help you to to establish and get stability around and we do that through a framework of of uh establishing your unique vision exploring what your gifts and talents are and the direction that you want to go and we compare that to where you are now and we help you build the bridge, the road to get there. And it's simple. Um, it does require effort. It does require commitment. But the value of having somebody to go through it with you is, is really invaluable because um, we can figure it out on our own. We're hard workers as agriculturalists. Like, there's no doubt you will figure it out. But what are the what's the cost and what? is the advantage to having somebody help you to get there faster. So um, again, stay tuned. Uh, we do this the second and fourth Thursdays of the month. Um, this one seems a little bit out of the norm, but in my mind, this is, this is critical. This is the most important information. And so again, thank you, Bernie. Thanks for joining us on the Profitable Steward Podcast. Want to learn more about making your enterprise more profitable? Check out AgSteward on our website, www.agsteward.fyi. Here at AgSteward, we're working hard to make sure you have the latest tools and knowledge from the field of regenerative agriculture. 
subscribe to our podcast to keep up with the latest info, and help us spread the word by giving this video a thumbs up, sharing this information with other farmers, and as always, please join the conversation by leaving us a rating and a review so we can help you to keep growing strong.